Well, good morning, everyone, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you today, to be able to speak, uh, to encourage, to exhort all of us. And I'm going to be speaking this morning a message entitled, When All Else Fails. When All Else Fails. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, would encourage, would exhort, would strengthen each one of us today as we hear this message. Would you take your word, Lord God, and make it alive to each of the hearers who are under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would cause the seed of this word to bear a hundredfold fruit in the lives of the hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said, the message this morning or whenever you happen to be listening to this, is, an, is when all else fails. And I think I am preaching to you this morning probably as much as I'm preaching to myself. Maybe I'm preaching more to myself. And so the message that I'm preaching this morning is a place where I find myself. It's a place where I think I've been most of this year. And um, the Lord woke me up. Well, the dogs actually woke me up. But I believe it was the Lord. This morning at 2 a.m. I couldn't go back to sleep. And um, he just uh, spoke, spoke to me in the early hours of this morning. Um, what he wanted me to share with you and what he was sharing with me. And so yeah, I hope you and I trust you will be blessed today. And so if you find yourself today in a valley. If you find yourself in a place where you're reaching the end of your strength. You find yourself in a place that you can't seem to get out of. Maybe you feel like you're suffocating in it. Maybe it's been a whole year or longer, months and months of infirmity. Maybe it's been months and months of, of injury. Maybe it's been years and years even of marital challenge, of challenge in your business, of fighting so seemingly the same type of war over and over and over, the same, the same battle over and over and over. You know, if you find yourself Today, as you listen to this at the end of your tether, if you find yourself weary, worn out, if you feel like you've tried absolutely everything you know to do and still things have not changed for the better and you're kind of in that place of what next, what do I do next? Lord God, what do you honestly expect me to do now? I've done everything I know to do. If you feel like it's relentless, the warfare, it's just relentless, one battle after another without any respite. Maybe you feel like the heavens are like brass, like your prayers just simply bounce off and you wonder if God is actually hearing your prayers. And, and all around you, you look and you're just seeing wilderness and desert. You don't see the new life you're crying out for. You don't see the breakthrough that you're trusting God for. You don't see the open uh, heavens or open door that you've been trusting God for. If you Maybe you feel like you're in some type of prison, a dungeon that you can't get out of. It's dark. It's so dark, it's oppressive. And you can't see the light. You can't, you're wondering, can God even see me in this place? Can, is God even cognizant of me? Does he even care about what I'm going through? Is he even powerful enough to change these circumstances? Because it doesn't seem like he is able to do anything. You know, if you find yourselves, if you can identify, 
identify with any of those feelings, then this message is for you today. This message is for you. Because you see, in life, there are seasons where we led right into the valley of Achor. Achor speaks of troubling, where God actually leads us, where the Holy Spirit actually leads us into the valley of Achor, the valley of troubling, the valley of difficulty. And you know, there are seasons we see with Jesus, even there was a season where he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And so being a Christian and being in Christ doesn't exclude us from difficulties. It doesn't exclude us from challenges. In fact, the Bible teaches us because God, our Father, is a perfect Father. He is going to discipline us, and no discipline will seem pleasant at the time. And I'm not saying that every difficulty is discipline. I'm just saying that being a Christian and being in Christ doesn't mean that we won't experience discipline. It doesn't mean that we won't experience difficulties, because the reality is that we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, there are things that happen that maybe God didn't Maybe God wasn't the author of those things, but he can, he's so powerful and he's so big that the Bible teaches us he can and he does turn those things and use them for our good if we pray them. So Romans 8 um, speaks of. So, but the reality is that, yes, he is big enough to do that, but there are times when we've done everything we know to do and the situation doesn't change. When we've prayed, when we've fasted, when we've sought God, when we've declared the word, when we've declared praise, when we've done everything, we've stood on his promises, we've cried out to him and the situation hasn't changed. What do we do then? What do we do then? What do we do when we've utilized every form of spiritual warfare that we know to use and nothing has changed? What do we do when the situation remains desperate, when it remains like there's no end in sight, but we've already used every weapon we know to use, you know, when we've run out of strength, when we fear that we can't stand in the same situation without it changing for another day, for another minute, perhaps. Where do we go when we've run to God for help and it seems like no help is in sight and we can't help ourselves? Who do we turn to when we've turned to God and we still wait for some change or some breakthrough? Who do we trust in when we've trusted in God, but it hasn't resulted in what we thought it would result in, when it hasn't resulted in what we think it should result in, when the process that we've gone through, it hasn't turned out like we believe it should? How does God require us to proceed? Where is he in those times? And what should we be doing? What do we do when it seems like all else has failed? What do we do? And I'm sure this speaks to some of you. And if it doesn't, to most of you and to some of you, and if it doesn't speak to you in this season, well, keep it in mind because each of us go through seasons in our Christian walk that possibly feel like this. And these are tools, these are things to keep in mind for when we go through these type of seasons. And I'm going to be giving you six tools, six things that I think are important, which the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. And I believe they will help us. They're not magical formulas to make the situation go away. They're not magical formulas to sort out your circumstances or my circumstances. You know, I wish there was a book like that. Well, I don't actually know if I do, but I wish there was a book like that, a book of formulas, 
you know, formulas in the Bible, maybe in the middle or the end of the Bible, you know, book of formulas. And then I'd be reading book of formulas, chapter six, verse one to 10. When you get into these types of situations, this is the formula to make it change, you know, but there's no such thing like that with God. This is your three point formula to make it change. Name it, frame it, declare it, do this, do this. Then it will surely change 24 hour miracle. There's nothing like that where we do this, we do this, and then immediately this will happen. And I think God doesn't give us these formulas because, you know, most of us and me included, if I have a formula to control the outcome, we don't need God. We don't need to run to God because we just go to the formula and rely on our own strength. And so that's why I think God doesn't give us formulae. That's well for people like me who like scientific outcomes where you do this, then you get that you know, where there's a right and there's a wrong and two plus two equal four, you know, there's one answer, a right answer and a wrong answer, you know, it's not like that with God because he always wants us to seek him. He is the one who holds understanding. He is the one who gives us strength to keep going. He is the one who holds our future in, the, in his hands. And when we don't understand, when we can't see what's happening, we have to trust him because there's nowhere else to turn. Yes, but also because he is trustworthy regardless of our experience right now and regardless of our emotions right now. And so the first thing that I'm wanting to challenge us regarding if we find ourselves in the season is that we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. And an example of this that I'm wanting to look at is John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, verse 2 to 11, we find John in prison. John the Baptist is in prison. And verse 2 says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we not look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor of the gospel preached to them. Verse 6, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We need to guard our hearts from offense and disillusionment toward God. In verse 7 of that portion of scripture, it says, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So this is the great John the Baptist that Jesus is talking of. And he says, go and tell John the Baptist, this great John the Baptist, who's sitting in prison, waiting to be martyred, waiting to be headed. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is the John the Baptist whose very purpose in life it was, was to proclaim and herald Jesus. That was his purpose. He was to prepare the way for the, for, the, for the coming Messiah. And then he was to recognize him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there now. Matthew 3 verse 1 to 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. 
So this is the same John the Baptist who recognized Jesus, who baptized him, who saw the Holy Spirit, the dove, descend upon Jesus, who heard the Father's affirmation of Jesus. This is the same John the Baptist who is now, after fulfilling most of his purpose, sitting in prison and disillusioned and concerned and saying, can you go and ask Jesus, is he the one or is there another? He's confused. He's disillusioned. He's, he doesn't see. He's doubting what he saw. What he saw in the day, he's now doubting in the night, you know. And if we read Matthew 3 verse 13 to 17, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So John had witnessed all of this. He had baptized Jesus. He had recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And this is the same John the Baptist whom Paul spoke highly of as one who ran his race and finished his course. So John the Baptist fulfilled his purpose. He was faithful. He was obedient. He walked in obedience to his father. It was not like he sinned or did anything wrong. And this is the same John the Baptist who now finds himself in prison, about to be martyred. Jesus continued to heal, to do miracles, to, to, to pursue his purpose. John had run his course faithfully, but he was in prison. John ran his course in obedience to God. He hadn't missed it. And he was in prison. And there was no one coming to rescue him. Jesus didn't suddenly appear and say, I'm coming to rescue you because you're my cousin. Because I can do it. Because I'm all powerful. Jesus didn't do that. And so John was disillusioned because he wasn't being um, rescued from the situation. He wasn't being rescued out of his prison, you know. And it wasn't because John had sinned that he found himself there. And Jesus warns him and says, don't be offended. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Maybe offense was already kicking in. Jesus mentioned it. You know, if God is really good, if God is really all powerful, you know, surely he could get God out of the situation. I mean, Jesus was alive and on the earth and doing miracles, you know. God could do it, right? He could do something. Why wouldn't he do it if he is who he said he was? Those are maybe some of the questions going through John's heart and John's mind. You see, disillusionment, offense toward God. These are some of the temptations that we grapple with, some of the things that we grapple with. When we find ourselves in situations, the situations I mentioned at the start of this message, when we find ourselves in the dark, when we find ourselves trapped in circumstances and not being rescued out of them, and we don't, we don't, we're not aware of any reason that we should be there. There's no disobedience that we are aware of. There's no sin that we are aware of. And we're thinking, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you hearing my prayers? Why can't you rescue me out of this? And if we're not careful, we can grow disillusioned and we can grow offended at God. You know, thinking in our hearts, is God really who I thought he was? Maybe God, okay, I think God doesn't work like I thought he works. 
you know, why not? Is it me? Is it God? Is, it, is he really who he says he is? Maybe he, I'm just not that important to him. You know, I've been obedient. I've sacrificed what is happening to me. Maybe this, maybe you think maybe this whole Christian thing really isn't worth it. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe I've missed it. You know, maybe I've believed a lie. Maybe God is just simply not that loving God that I've heard preached about. There are all sorts of offenses and concerns. Maybe we just get disillusioned and weary of standing on the word, of holding up the word, of believing that God is who he says he is. And even if we don't understand his process, it just means that we don't understand what he's doing. It doesn't mean that he's not who he says he is. So we need to guard our hearts in times when we don't understand the process. Because believe me, God is purposeful. The Bible says that God wrote every day of our lives in his book before there was yet one of them. God knows what he's about. God says he already ordained us in terms of our, our purpose. He's already ordained it for us. He's given us gifts and callings and created us as his workmanship in Christ Jesus for a life of good works that he's already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He knows what he is doing even if we don't. Amen. We need to guard our hearts. We need to pray and do everything that we, need, that we know to do. And having done all, we need to continue to stand and guard our hearts. The, the, the Bible says that from our hearts flow the issues of life. So we need to guard our hearts. Amen. That's the first thing I'm wanting to challenge us concerning. The second thing is we need to trust in the Lord. And yes, I know it's difficult. You say, you might say to me, but I've trusted in him and it hasn't changed anything. And I want to challenge you. It hasn't changed anything yet. You haven't seen anything happen yet, but it's not the end yet. And I want to encourage you to continue to trust in the Lord. Continue to stand and trust in the Lord. Don't give up on your hope. Don't give up yet. Sometimes it takes a short time. Sometimes it takes longer. Don't lose your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding of the process and what you think God is or is not doing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding in terms of making your own solution, in terms of relying on your own way to make things work, controlling the outcome because you think that God isn't doing anything. So let me just do something so it's not quite as painful as, and difficult as it is right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Psalm 37 verse 4 to 5 says, Find your delight and true pleasure in Yahweh and He will give you what you desire the most. And He will give you what you desire the most. And obviously, I think he gives us what we desire the most when it's in line with his will. And I believe he gives us the desires that he wants us to have. And then he fulfills those desires and gives us what we desire the most. And he does this when we trust in him and when we're finding our delight in him. When my delight is in him, my heart and my desires become aligned with his and he fulfills them. And it says, give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly.
Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. You know, I fully believe in this scripture. I really, really believe that this is such a powerful scripture to build our lives upon. Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. God is the one who made us. He knows how he made us, how he wired us and what he made us for. And it's his desire that he's glorified in and through us. And so even when we don't understand why he doesn't seem to do this, even when we don't understand why this or why that, we still have to, I think we still got to trust him because as we trust him along the way, along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in my life. And a big example of this, obviously, is my marriage to my husband. At the time, it was difficult, extremely difficult. Families were dead set against it. I was excommunicated from my family because of it. But God had spoken very clearly concerning this marriage. And I knew like I knew, and we both knew that this was a God thing. And I made that decision, God, if, I re if, if you are real, which I believe you are, if your word really is true, and if you are saying this, and I really believed he was, and we'd submitted it to our pastors, and they said, yes, they do. They also believed it, you know. We gave him, I gave him the right to direct my life, even though it was difficult. It was difficult, extremely difficult, and it was very painful. But you know what? God has done the most incredible miracles and the most worked most incredibly in, in our families, in my family, especially, I think, you know, because of it and as a result of it. And he would never have done all of those things if I hadn't, if we hadn't allowed him to direct our lives. And aside from that, I'm really grateful that I married the man that I married, whom I love dearly. I wouldn't if I had the choice over, I wouldn't choose anyone different. Give, at the time, it was difficult. But retrospectively, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I made that decision. Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. Is it easy? No. Do you see the results quickly? Not very often. But that's what faith is about. Psalm 25 verse 1 to 2 it says, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. I love this. O my God, to you. Uh, oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. David is saying all of these things and he's saying it. And at the end, he says, let not my enemies triumph over me. Why? He's saying, God, I trust you. I'm in the middle of warfare. You see, warfare doesn't show that God can't be trusted. Being sitting bang, slap bang in the middle of enemies and difficult trials and circumstances and warfare and battles doesn't show that God can't be trusted. It's in the thick of the warfare. It's in the thick of the battle. It's when we're sitting right in the middle of all of our enemies. That's when we need to trust him all the more. It's when we can't see that we need to trust him all the more. It's when our enemies look like they are winning 
they, they are succeeding. That is when we need to trust him all the more. To you, oh Lord, I lift my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. I want us to turn to Psalm 23, that famous chapter we all love to quote. You know, I fear that we are drawn to certain phrases and portions of that particular um, portion of scripture. And, and there are others that kind of fade into the background. And I'm going to read it. It's verse 1 to 6. This is a psalm of David. And he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We love that. We love that portion. Verse 4. Yet ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We always kind of read through those two, two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, quite quickly. And then we get to, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, we really love that portion. But you know what? In the middle, in the middle of that sandwich, in that chapter, it speaks of a valley of the shadow of death. That's a deep dark, oppressive valley, a deep, dark, oppressive valley. And sometimes we need to walk through valleys and sometimes we have to, we walk through valleys and sometimes those valleys are really bad. They're really dark. They're really oppressive. But guess what? That's where we need to fear no evil. It's easy to say, I fear no evil when everything is going well and we're on top of the mountain. It's when we're walking through the valley and we can't see the way out. When we're walking through the valley and we wonder if we're ever going to get out, that's where we need to fear no evil. And we need to learn how to receive comfort in the valley. We can't receive comfort when we're raging against God. We can't receive comfort from Him if we're offended, if we're disillusioned. You know, it says, um, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's in the valley of the shadow of death. Okay. We need to be able to receive comfort in the valley. You know, sometimes our enemies are very strong and very real and very close and very intimidating and very threatening. And guess what? This psalm says that's where God prepares a table before us. That's where he prepares a table before us. You see, he wants us to get to a place where we are able to feast in the presence of our enemies, where we are so at rest and at peace in our trust of God, that we're able to, to sit and feast in the presence of our enemies or even stand but feast in the presence of our enemies with the threat of war or in the midst of warfare. We still need to learn to see His goodness in the presence of evil. We need to be able to discern the Lord's provision in the presence of difficulty. These things are so important. And I love this example from 2 Kings 6 verse 13 to 17 where um, the king of Syria is getting really upset because Elisha seems to know where uh, his battle plans. Um, and it's because the Lord is, is basically telling Elisha what, what the king of Syria's battle plans are. And so the king of Syria says, go and see where Elisha is that I may send and get him. And it was told the king he's in Dothan. 
Therefore the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army of there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, that's Gehazi, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to Elisha, Oh my master, what are we going to do? He was terrified. And what did Elisha say? He said, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, I think that is such a good picture or such a good reminder that we don't always see the whole picture. We don't always understand what we see is not 360 or 2020 vision, 360 degrees or 2020 vision. Only God can. And that's why we have to trust God because we are not all knowing and we are not all seeing. Okay, and that's why we have to trust Him. God sees the bigger picture. God sees beyond the here and now. God sees beyond the natural and what we can see. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 to 8. It's such a good reminder to me and to all of us really to trust in the Lord. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. That's trusting in our own arm, trusting in our own strategies, trusting in our own intellect, wisdom, trusting, making our own plans, making flesh our, his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit parched places in the wilderness and a salt land uninhabited. But listen to this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. What is the key for that man? The key for that man is trusting in the Lord. Then when times of drought come, still he will yield fruit. Then when heat comes, still his leaf will be green. When difficulties come, he will not be anxious. When drought comes, he will not be anxious. When the ec economics change, he will not be anxious because he trusts in the Lord. Amen. We need to trust in the Lord. The third point that I'm wanting to challenge us concerning, and this is something that God has been teaching me through experience and this is what he's been showing me um, that we need to look for the door of hope in the valley of Achor there's often a door of hope and we need to look for that door of hope and we need to keep looking until he shows and reveals us that door of hope and Hosea 2 verse 14 to 15 says therefore this is the Lord speaking therefore behold I will allure her Israel and bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly unto her heart. There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, the valley of troubling, to be for her a door of hope and expectation. And she shall sing there and respond as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came up out of the land of Egypt. What is the Lord saying? He's saying, I will make her valley of Achor to be a door of hope. And this is so important and I saw this a couple of years ago where I really struggled in a particular area with a particular injury for months and months and months. 
And at the end of it all, God gave me something in that season, which was so precious, which I never would have had, had I not gone through that particular valley. Now, was it, was it pleasant? Would I want to go through it again? I don't think I'd want to go through it again, but I am so glad that I have this particular gift and this particular opportunity as a result of what I went through. And looking back, I'm so glad that I went through that because I have this. And even right now, as I'm in the midst of this trial and this challenge from the beginning of the year up till now, struggling with infirmity and injury. Right now, I'm not sick. It's injury, you know, and um, just saying, God, show me. Show me the door of hope in this valley of Achor. Show me. Show, and you know what? God will pick things when he's working his process in our lives. God will choose things to fashion us and shape us and to mold us the way that he wants. And sometimes he brings us into the valley, valley of Achor because he wants to strip us, because he wants to prune us, because he wants to move us to the next phase to the next level to the next stage but he can't do it with what we are right now he has to change us and so sometimes there's a stripping that we go through but often he's so good and he's so kind he will give he will often give that door of hope to us and so my prayer for you and for myself is God will you show us will you show us those doors of hope that door of hope the gift that you're wanting to give you see, God never prunes because he's a ruthless, horrible, harsh, hard gardener. He prunes, John, speak, John teaches us, in about John 15, teaches us that he prunes that we may bear more fruit. Okay, so he prunes because he wants to move us on to something better. And so there's often a door of hope. And so that's really important. We need to, we need to look for that because hope is what keeps us going through these very difficult challenges. Romans 15 verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hope we need. We need hope to believe. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to do. Hope is a key. Hope is a, key. Hope is a weapon. Hope is something that we don't want to lose because then it becomes very easy to give into discouragement, disillusionment, to lose, to, to lose faith, to step, to step out of faith and belief, you know. And there's something about hope that opens a door for joy and peace. That's what, that's what I read also when I read that scripture. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something about hope that opens a door for joy and for peace. And we have to look for the door of hope. And when it, within that door, we will find joy and we will find peace. It's a door within a door. Amen. The fourth thing I'm wanting to challenge us concerning is to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 10 um, says, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him. That strength which, is bound, which His boundless might provides. Okay? We need to draw our strength from Him. Because when we are weak, 
he is strong. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's so important. How do I be strong in the Lord? What do I do that I can be strong in the Lord? If I just say, be strong in the Lord, Trace, be strong in the Lord, Trace, that's not going to really help me that much, okay? So what are some of the practical things that I need to make sure that I'm doing so I can be strong in the Lord? And I want to ask you, are you feeding on the word regularly? Am I feeding on the word regularly? Am I reading the Bible regularly? Am I praying regularly? Um, it says in verse 18, pray at all times on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. That's Ephesians uh, 6 verse 18. Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, and with all manner of prayer and entreaty. I want to ask you today, how's your prayer life? I want to ask me today, how's my prayer life? Am I praying at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, and with all manner of prayer and entreaty? Am I alert and watchful in the spirit with strong purpose and with perseverance interceding on behalf of all the saints? Am I? James 5 verse 16 says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I don't care if it feels like the heavens are brass. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care if it feels like God doesn't answer my prayers because my feelings are not inaccurate indicators of truth. The word of God is the only accurate indicator of truth. That is the indicator of truth. How I feel is great. It's, it's, it's a great tool and it shows me where I'm at emotionally, but it is not how I build my life. It's not how I structure my day. It's not how I plan my, my, the way forward in terms of my life. It's not how I, I strengthen myself by, by, by succumbing to my emotions. Okay, So the Bible says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So guess what, honey? Guess what, sir? Your prayers, your, the prayers of a righteous man avail much. Your prayers are powerful, whether they feel like it or whether they don't. Maybe those senses in heaven are just getting filled up with the incense from your prayers. Maybe they haven't quite reached the point where they're full and they're going to tip over. Maybe, maybe your prayers are affecting change. But like Daniel, when Daniel prayed, it took three weeks for him to, to have the angel come to him to bring the answer that God already dispatched when he started praying because of the resistance in the spiritual realm, because of the resistance to the spiritual warfare. You know, so we got to keep on. We got to keep on. We don't know what's happening in the spirit realm. We don't know what, what the difference that our prayers are making, but we got to keep on because what else do we have if we don't keep on? We've got nothing. We've got nothing. We've got our own strength, our own intellect. We've got to trust in our own flesh, which I've already shown you is not really an answer. So we actually don't have anywhere else to go. We have to keep on. We have to stand strong. We have to build ourselves up in the most holy faith because there's nowhere else that we can turn to. How are your daily spiritual dis disciplines? How is your Bible reading? How is your prayer life? Are you in community? Another one really important. Are we walking in community? Community strengthens. Are you in an accountable relationships? Uh, in an accountable relationship or relationships? Um, ones that strengthen you, ones that hold you to account, one, ones that encourage you, ones, relationships where the people will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. Those relationships are so important for us. 
you know and often we run away from them we we're not re- we don't really like those people that much those people who shoot straight who tell us what we need to know to 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 know and to hear but you know what those people are gifts let me tell you something if there's someone in your life who tells you what you need to hear even if it's not what you want to hear keep them because the bible says that he who hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise the bible talks about how it's a foolish man who doesn't listen to instruction and to wisdom but it's a wise person who listens to instruction if you're wise when you're challenged and corrected and you go away and you eat humble pie and you humble yourself before the lord and you change you know and maybe that's what god is wanting to do in this season in our lives who knows Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, you use steel to sharpen steel and one friend sharpens another. If your friends, if your closest friends don't sharpen you, you need to get another friend who will sharpen you. You need, we all need friends who will sharpen us. And you can have friends in different aspects of your life, but make sure that you have some who sharpen you, who challenge you, okay? Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We need those people who will challenge us with the word of Christ. We need to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly that we are able to teach and admonish other people, that we are able to be that person who speaks the truth to someone, who's that, that person who loves them enough to tell them the truth, even though it's hard to tell them the truth. That's how God wants us to be. Okay. Stand. That was stand. The next, the next, um, was that stand? That was stand strong in the Lord, I think. Yeah, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Number five, fight. You might say to me, but I've been fighting and I'm so tired. I want to sit down. I'm sick of fighting. It hasn't made a difference. I've just grown weary. Well, you know what? Stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. I read this particular scripture in our um, a woman's Bible study group the other week. And it so challenged me and it so encouraged me all at the same time. Deuteronomy 2 verse 24. This is God speaking. And he says to his people, rise up. Take your journey, pass over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This is God. He's saying, get up, go over there. I've given you that land. Fight for it. Now, a lot of us, I think sometimes we forget that we have to fight for what God has promised us. Just because God promised us something, it doesn't mean that there'll be no warfare around it. It doesn't mean that we can pray one prayer, name it, claim it, frame it, it's ours, boom. It doesn't mean that we can just walk in and say, hand over the land, our God said it's ours. No, we have to fight for it. We have to contend for it. We have to rise up. We have to journey into that land. And then we have to begin to possess it and contend with the enemies in that land. And it says begin to possess it because possessing the promise of God and possessing the things that God has promised to us and says he's given to us doesn't happen like that. Okay? It's a it's a whole process. It's a process of possess- you take a bit of land and a bit of land and a bit of land and you have to fight for every inch, for every um for every meter, for for every 100 meters, for every plot of land. We have to fight for every bit of progress that we're contending for it in battle. But you know what? 
God says he's given it to us. And this really challenged me. You know, it really challenged me because I, you know, when you, 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 you pray for people to be healed and maybe you even see people being healed when you just pray for them to be healed and then you struggle with infirmity or you struggle with, with injury and you pray for yourself and you don't see yourself being healed and you stand on those scriptures where, you know, by his stripes I am healed. You stand on all of those scriptures and guess what? It just carries on or it just morphs into something else and it becomes something else and you kind of think, God, you know, really? You pray for someone, they get healed. Then you pray for yourself and, and, and you know, you kind of think, God, uh, you promised me, do I really have to continue to fight? Yes, Trace, you have to continue to fight. You have to contend for it. You have to battle for it. And if he takes land back, that's the enemy. If the enemy takes land back, you fight for it and you take it back for him. And you continue to stand and you continue to fight and you continue to believe God for it until you get the breakthrough, whether it takes one month, two months, 12 months or two years. But you continue to fight because what else is there? Am I just going to relinquish all of it and say, okay, well, it didn't come to me on a platter. So no. We have to fight for it. We have to stand and continue to fight for it. Just because God promised it to us doesn't mean there'll be no warfare. Just because he paid for our healing doesn't mean we won't have to fight for our health. Just because he promised us certain territories doesn't mean we won't have to contend and go to warfare and repeated warfare at times to take hold of what he's already said he has given to us. Sometimes God allows these things these challenging circumstances to teach us how to war. Sometimes he allows these things because he wants to say, he wants to give us new weapons of warfare or show us new strategies or draw us deeper into him or cause us to trust him more or whatever it is. You know, so I think God can use these type of circumstances to teach us so much about battles and about war, spiritual warfare. Psalm 144 verse 1 to 2. Says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. God loves to teach us how to battle. And there are so many weapons of warfare that He can teach us to use. You know, sometimes God delivers us out of circumstances when we pray and when we warfare. Sometimes God keeps us through the circumstances and we need to learn how to battle in both of those situations. We need to learn the weapons to use when we're tired, when we're weary. We need to learn when do I rest in him? When do I need to be at peace? When do I need to stand up and rise up in faith and do warfare? What are the different weapons that I can use? And I want to encourage you today, if you are in a battle right now, have you picked up all your weapons and have you used them all? And, you know, I know for me personally, sometimes something will happen and I will try like warfare. You know, I, I don't need to go into details, but say I, I, there's something coming against us in our bedroom and, and I can see it and I know there's an evil presence or whatever type of warfare, whether you see things or whether it's something in your workplace, it doesn't really matter. Warfare is spiritual warfare, is spiritual warfare. But sometimes we don't really know which weapon to use. So, for instance, I remember this particular thing that happened when we were on a cruise, my husband and I, and um, he was asleep and I was awake and I started praising. It didn't make a difference. I started, I started, um, 
worshiping didn't make a difference. I started uh, declaring the word of God didn't make a difference. I started praying in tongues and they're, diff and they're different things. And as you work through those things, eventually something worked and the thing disappeared. Okay. The thing that evil presence left our room, the thing that I was seeing left. And sometimes we just have to work our way through saying, okay, this is my number one. Number one, I praise. Okay. Number two, I'm going to worship. Number three, I'm going to intercede in tongues. Number four, I'm going to declare your word, whatever order you want. Okay. I'm going to rebuke it and declare the word like Jesus did when he, when he came against the enemy. We have to understand that they're different weapons and we work our way through them until the one that's supposed to work works. Now, maybe straight away, we'll know which one to use, but I'm wanting to encourage us that sometimes saying sometimes you don't actually know which one is going to work. And you just have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until that thing or that thing breaks. Whatever has come against you, whatever battle you're facing, whatever warfare you're going through, it, 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 it dissipates. And the first one I'm, one I'm wanting to remind us about is praise. And I know Pastor Vim preached a powerful message recently on praise. And so I'm just going to mention one scripture and move on. Psalm 149 verse 1 to 9 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Let us pray and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. The children of Israel be joyful in their king. Let, him pray, let them praise his name with a dance. Let them sing praises to him with a timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. Praise the Lord. That is a picture of spiritual warfare. And right there, this person, this, this psalmist is using praise. And the high praise and the two-edged sword in their mouths, which is the word of God. So there, right there are two weapons. Which brings me to the second weapon which is declaring the word of God in faith, the sword of the spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this was Jesus' weapon of choice in the wilderness when the enemy came against him in Luke 4, verse 3 to 12. And you can go and look at that for yourself. The third weapon, I've touched on this and I'm wanting to remind us, prayer and intercession. Ephesians 6, verse 18, remember what it says. It says, praying always with all manner of prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Important. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Number four, coming in the opposite spirit. You know, some things that we do practically are spiritual warfare. And this is one of those things. Coming in the opposite spirit. Romans 12 verse 19 to 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves nor give place to wrath. Because, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire in his head. Then it says, listen, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's coming in the opposite spirit. If someone is stingy, then be generous. If someone is critical, be generous with your compliments. If someone just come in the opposite spirit, if someone is being proud and arrogant, come in humility, the opposite spirit. And remember that love never fails. And that's a powerful spiritual weapon. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 8, it's a description of love and we're familiar with that and for the sake of time I'm not going to read it. But in verse 8 it says, love never fails. Love 
never fails. And that is a powerful remember that is a powerful weapon. I remember at the end of the day, love never fails. I remember watching a documentary once where a biblical scholar was doing research um, on spiritual warfare, uh, indicated that he believed that the most powerful weapon of spiritual warfare, um, most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare was love. And he said this and he said, because love was the thing that ultimately won the biggest battle of all, which is Jesus Christ giving us life for the salvation of mankind and winning all of us as believers to the Lord, giving us that opportunity to become children of God. Powerful, come in the opposite spirit. Okay, number six, stand in faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. You know, we don't need to be told to do this when everything is going great. We need to be told to do this when we're faltering, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when we're weary, when we're wondering if the word is actually true, if it's true for us, if it's ever going to actually manifest in our lives, then it's be watchful over your life. Be watchful. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Okay? Number seven, being filled with joy. That is a powerful weapon because it gives us strength. And we see this in Nehemiah 8 verse 10 where it says, Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's joy is our strength. And very often when we allow the enemy to rob us of our joy, he robs us of our strength too. And the last one that I'm wanting to mention in terms of these particular weapons is peace. Peace is a powerful thing in warfare. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 9 says, Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, peace is a God. And the scripture reveals in that particular portion of scripture some of the keys to retaining our peace. Prayer, thanksgiving, supplication, what we're thinking on, meditations of our heart and mind, and doing what we've learned and received and heard and seen in, in, in the Bible and in, that God has given us to do these things are important because then the God of peace will be with us. Then his peace will guard our hearts and minds. Amen. And finally, the last exhortation and encouragement I'm wanting to leave with us today is number six, having done all, stand. What do you do when all else has failed? Having done all, continue to stand. Okay. Ephesians 6 Verse 13 to 18, it says, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground in the evil day. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Having done all the crisis demands, you've done everything. What do you do next? Stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, hold your ground. Having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and moral rectitude and right standing with God. Keep on doing the right thing, people. We keep on doing the right thing even when we don't see the fruit of it. And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability 
the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the Spirit wields, which is the word of God. Stand, and having done all, stand. When you don't know what else to do, stand and keep standing and stand firm and keep using all these different tools that I've given you today. When you don't know what else to do, trust me, there's nowhere else you can go. Trust in the Lord. Keep standing. Never give up. You know, I remember once earlier on this year when I was just thinking about these challenges that I've been going through and the, Holy, and, and the Lord knows that I hate giving up. Okay, I don't like giving up. And um, I don't like it when I can't finish. I don't like it when something is left, okay? I don't like giving up. And the Holy Spirit said to me, give it up. And I was saying, Lord, what must I do? And he says, give it up. And I'm thinking, but Lord, you know I don't like to give up. He says, no, give it up. Like, give it up to me. Relinquish it to me. And I think that's the place that he wants us to get to where we relinquish these things to him. We relinquish the control. We relinquish trying to make things happen and trusting in our own strength, trusting in our own wisdom. And we trust in him. We give it over to him fully and give it up to him. But we don't give up. We keep standing. We keep standing and trusting God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 to 9 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And I want to leave that with you. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are pers- maybe persecuted, but not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Hard pressed, but not crushed. And we need to remember that the excellence of the power of God isn't, wants to be seen in earthen vessels. And he doesn't share his glory with anyone. And so the more broken you are, it doesn't matter. The more glory he's going to reveal in and through that brokenness is going to bring out such sweetness from that place. Trust me. Trust God. Sorry, I wasn't saying trust me. I was saying trust me when I say that, but trust God. Okay. So in conclusion, I want to encourage us today that when we find ourselves in places where we've done everything we know to do and we, we're still in the same place, nothing has changed. We've done everything. Everything else seems to have failed. What do we need to do? Number one, we need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Number two, we need to continue to trust in the Lord. He is faithful. Number three, we need to look for that door of hope. We need to keep hope alive in our hearts. Number four, we need to be strong in the Lord. Stand strong in the Lord, you know, in the power of His might. And number five, we need to fight. And number six, once we've done all of these things, having done all, continue to stand. Amen. Continue to stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the power, for the strength that it brings to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you're wanting to impart to your people a perseverance and endurance. And so would you do that, Lord? Would you help us to endure when it's tough, to keep moving forward or just keep standing, Lord God, when it's tough? Would you help us 
to continue to guard our hearts, to continue to trust you, Lord God, to continue to look for that door of hope. And we pray that you would show it to us, Father. Would you help us to be strong in you, to fight, and having done all these things at the end of the day, to continue to stand in the name of Jesus. Amen.